Welcome to the RJ Lavanya show. I'm Lavanya and today I'm chatting up with an amazing sitar player who weaves his magic across all genres, be it classical, contemporary world music or film music. He has performed across the globe, has released multiple private albums collaborating with some great artists from around India and abroad and has also played for movies like Pink, Rock on 2, Mani Karnika, Katyar Karzad Guthli, Me Vasant Rao and many many more. Can't wait to chat up and know his story. So let's get ready now to go inside out into the world of Purvain Chatterjee. Hi, Purvain ji, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Welcome uh, to for the having show. me on this show, and uh, it's 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 lovely to be interacting with you about so many diverse subjects, as I understand. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure, and thank you for accepting to be on the show. Let's start with the beginning, Purvain ji. How did it begin for you? Who were your teachers? Let's begin with that. I was born uh, into a home which was at the crossroads okay. of becoming professional musicians vis-a-vis uh, -vis having you know middle class uh, careers. It all started actually with my grandfather and and he was uh, he loved learning the the sitar. He actually picked up the he was the one who made the choice okay. uh, for our family and he picked up the sitar and uh, although he was he used to work in a film laboratory in in Calcutta. So there was always that show business entertainment industry kind right. of connection hmm. uh, and my grandmother was much more seriously into music she was a regular artist of all india radio wow. learned classical music but also uh, you know her area of speciality were kirtans wow ha, so wow. bengali kirtans and in fact later on uh, in in um, you know in her life mm -hmm. nikhil banerjee used to be a big fan of her kirtans used to wow. say please sing that, because it's a kind of a rare genre you exactly. know so to speak mm. uh, so that's how it all started it came down to my dad who uh, like a typical you know middle class bengali family started mm. off by trying to be uh, you know in the indian administrative services qualified you know he had values which were very family oriented values didn't want to travel out of state or mm. out of the city so so he gave up kind of on that and the music had already kind of crept into, into his his okay. lifestyle mm -hmm. so eventually i think uh, you know, he got a job at a bank to support wow. support okay. the family and mm -hmm. he worked at that job for many many years i have seen that dilemma kind of unfold uh -huh. where uh, you know should i take up a career in music right. and that it's interesting how that dilemma sort of pervades through generations you know it it True. i think the final resolve on the dilemma came with me with you. because i was just too lazy to pursue any <laughs> other career okay. and uh, and i you know that decision was an automatic one that okay i'm kind of okay at this and maybe uh, you know why try hard at yes. something else yes and uh, and that's how it all started when I mean, my training started when i was just 5 years old mm. uh, actually as a matter of fact the vocal training started when i was 3 years old wow and uh, i still remember like vaguely mm -hmm. uh, how it was either it was a carrot and stick uh, <laughs> method so so mm. i would be taken to task so my dad said first you have to learn how to sit in one place 
and and so just sit and listen to me practice and that itself is too much for a 3 year old that that was the stick yeah. so you have to sit here and the carrot was afterwards uh, i think when i was 3 the carrots were simpler carrots like you know i don't know like some candy or, mm. or a piece of cake or something mm-hmm. and and later on when i was about 5 then the carrot was watching india play the west indies you know you like uh, clive okay. lloyd's team yeah always oh, wow. yeah <laughs> clive lloyd's team was touring and and um, in fact i began to get quite nostalgic when i was watching the movie 83 oh, and uh, right. because you know that's those are the kind of times and yes. sunil gavaskar and kapil dev kapil, and dilip bengsakar yes. and so th- that was the carrot later mm. on in my life when i picked up the sitar at 5 so that's how it all started you know wow yeah. beautiful also what happens is along with our learning we also tend to have idols whom we base our lives on or we try to you know in- inculcate something from their styles so who are some of your idols that you try to follow so uh, if you're talking about musical idols i'll i'll come to that okay but i'll i'll start you know i'll i'll kind of take a little journey uh, through my not so conscious to my conscious mind okay you know growing up you know the first person you want to be of course is always your dad or your mom and i i kind of saw my dad the way he would prioritize between his job and his music i think somewhere it crept into my dna that i would have to vicariously satisfy like vicariously for him not for me satisfy his need to be a successful professional musician yeah. uh and that is that is at a much deeper level hmm. so uh but i i saw how he tried to balance between the two and and try to i mean he would go to learn from nikhil banerjee um you know at his house in jodhpur park which is the other end of town mm-hmm. and then come back on a public bus s14 there were no recording devices in those days and even right. if they were the guru the traditional guru would never, never allow, you. allow you to record yes. so he would come back he would listen to a bandish or a composition or a gath and he would keep singing it in his mind singing it in his in his mind often forgetting which stop to get off at oh. so that he could come back and immediately play it on the sitar and notate it or write down right. or something right so that was i think uh, an, an unconscious you know process of idolization but i think uh, one of my big idols was sunil gavaskar you know growing up with my <laughs> love for cricket yes. i used to love not only the way he played but i think i loved the aura and the persona the mm. way he conducted himself off the field i used to see his interviews i was very like uh, enamored by the personality true, true. Yeah, and were. the cricketer yeah. so that you know then that led and then i read his autobiographies you know sunny days and runs mm. and ruins and and the part of my growing up yeah. uh, was that you know for any classical musician and i don't know in more ways than i can even describe Uh, i know it's very common for people to say this and i know it's uh, it's a reality for any classical musician i'm not saying my love and adoration is anything special mm-hmm. but i think i felt about it a certain way and i would like to describe it growing up when i was probably 6 7 years of age mm-hmm. that was the time when zakir ustad zakir hussein uh zakir bhai as as you know he's i'll come to that story he's now yeah. made us call him that oh, really? we were, okay. i was always so much in anyway that's another story i don't mm-hmm. want to digress too much yeah. but anyway ustad zakir hussain at that time was already like a a cultural icon Absolutely. and and it was not that we saw witnessed the process of his becoming a cultural icon right. because that i joined the dots later on i read the stories now listen to his interviews or anecdotes yes. that he's told me but i felt like if i wanted to be somebody if i wanted to be just the person forget the music we came came to the music much later but just the person i wanted to be this person 
right and and the way he would present anything that he did forget Absolutely. again music is of course the mainstay yes. but just the way the presentation was made uh, i mean i felt very strongly about it even at that age which was like 6 years subsequently of course i began to understand what he was as a musician and and what his philosophy as a musician was he was one of those he is one of those deep thinking and he always has been that's why i use the word the past tense because you know i've seen him through the years and i keep observing him even to this day yes yes somebody who is like a thinking musician somebody who really cares more about uh, the larger picture than just him and his music and that is somebody who i would love to be so if you talk about one idol then i think i would talk about him okay. and without sounding uh, cliched because that's what many of us many would of say us but i i think this is the singular reason is is why you know because he looks at the larger picture similarly with ravi ji i've uh, respected and and uh, you know idolized him for the same reasons musically speaking of course my my guru ustad ali akbar khan sahab the way he is just you know so much in the moment and when he hits that one note you have to the way he waits and makes his audience wait for that one magic moment <laughs> is why i'm you know i idolize him to and, and nikhil banerjee for again for the same reasons how he synthesized so many different elements and made it into something which is so complete and so satisfying on so many levels um subsequently uh you know in my life as as i began to grow up and and uh, sort of uh, get into other genres of music chick korea mm. you know the i mean i always thought of him as you know as somebody who i would aspire to be out of the world yes Absolutely. chick korea you know even john mclaughlin because of the way he synthesized different elements uh pat mathini a big influence in my life and i would never imagine i mean the same for ustad zakir husain i never imagined that i would just sit next to him on the sofa <laughs> and just you know be in the aura but yes. same with pat mathini i got a chance to hang out with him Whoa, i okay. you know in direct email contact with him you know he called me to his studio in new york city wow and yes. and you know in uh, in i think it was downtown manhattan as a matter of fact and we hung out i saw his orchestrion in progress like he was working on it at that time wow. so very lucky to mm. um do that and then i think a big uh, influence in my life has also been shankar mahadevan from the moment i heard his music and from the moment i saw how he kind of visualized how he brings diverse genres together so seamlessly without really making an effort or trying to make a statement that's the thing i idolize and so how he's so real as a person even both people actually shankar ji and hari haran ji who are kind of the two pillars of of for us today you know? yes absolutely. yeah because they balance the commercial and the niche they balance bollywood and classical they balance uh improvised music and uh, you set. know set music mm-hmm. in the most seamless and most beautiful manner possible yeah. so i mean this is kind of the list that i have i mean i'm uh, probably a couple of uh, film stars along the way also but i i mean as much as i am a big film buff i watch a lot of films but in terms of idolization i think my list is pretty much pretty this. much here yeah. <laughs> so i think the one common streak i'm finding everywhere about all the people you spoke about is people who look at larger pictures indeed and so yeah so i mean there's a very uh, potent uh, thread i think you've picked up on yeah. is is i i appreciate and truly value people who 
look at the universe as something which is more than themselves. Yes. See, there is a universe within, within and there is a universe without. Yes. And to find a connect between the two is what uh, makes your life worth living, in my opinion. Absolutely. And, and these are people who have all done that. Fantastic. Yeah. And now we'll go to one very important aspect which has been a part of every musician's life, which is Riyaz. So, a little about how was your Riyaz schedule? You know, today is the day when people are trying to get everything with instant gratification. So, something that you'd also say as an encouragement for people to follow it up right now as an essential part of their musical journey. First up, I think uh, I am echoing Ustad Zakir Hussain. I, you know, I saw one of his interviews and mm -hmm. I really resonated with what he said. First thing that one should learn to do slowly is not make a big ceremony out of your riyas. There's a difference between being in awe of something or someone and loving yeah. that entity. Now, when you talk about prayer, for instance, okay. or hunger, hmm. eating your food, yes. your riyas should be like that. You eat your food when you're hungry. You mm. pray when you feel a connection with the divine or you want to make that connection. Right. You practice when you want to make that connection with your music. Now I come to the second part of that is, is the element of discipline which is necessary for you to want to feel that connection on a daily basis or at some regular interval. That discipline is uh, necessary in a manner where you, where you orient your mind. I am not one of those people who has practiced 10-12 hours ever in my life. Oh, wow. I have never done more than 6 hours. Okay. I mean, if I am true to myself and honest mm -hmm. uh, to myself, I wouldn't have done more than 6 hours of physical sitting down sitting with down. the instrument. Yes. That yes. being said, we are often watching movies on Netflix and we've heard all these stories about Abaji, Ustad al yes, yes. or even Kishan Maharaji that you'll see that they are counting something. Constantly. They'll be, there's this story of, I think it is Abaji only, mm -hmm. where he's under the blanket in the winter somewhere in North yes. India and his feet are moving like this. <laughs> And that process is very inspiring, but as much as it is, it sounds like it's very, what shall I say, larger than reality, but it's reality. It is. If you are in love with somebody or something, they'll be at the back of your mind. Constantly. All the entire, and it's the same when you love God like that, or you love a certain kind of activity, or you know, you'll be thinking in your mind, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, somebody who's a long distance runner, probably puts their attention on each muscle of their body, how it will work in a yes. certain scenario. And and that's not something which you need to be on the field or on the track mm. uh, to put to work. You what know. I call mental riyas, you know. You are putting your uh, muscles to work through your mind. Yes. Because eventually that is the process. And so not making a a big ceremony out of it is something I, I kind of follow and mm -hmm. I try to keep some kind of routine or, or discipline and there'll be these days when you really don't feel up to it. You know? right. And it's okay to take a day off or mm -hmm. something but it's not okay to take 15 days off. So we have to draw the line somewhere you know the, mm. this poetic kind of indulgence you know where you're like oh I'm just you know suffering from writer's block or right. It, it's it's okay to suffer from that for a day or two but then you've got to have some discipline if you're a professional you might have a concert and you have to deliver. Yes. So you have to see if you are just being that tad bit self-indulgent and so I try to impose that discipline on another thing that Pandit Birju Maharaji said really influenced me when he was doing a talk at Pandit Hari Prasadji's Gurukul in Vrindavan okay and that also deeply impacted me he, he said that there were these days when he didn't feel like actually physically practicing 
प्रैक्टिस करने का बट गैर हाजिरी नहीं लगनी चाहिए performances something that you remember well off the top of the cuff one of the memorable experiences in my life was going and performing in front of pandit bhim singh joshi ji in his house in his home in pune wow. kalashri bungalow and mm-hmm. uh, i was in this was in 1999 so i was wow. you know long way ago 20 something I went to his his home and performed and he, he gave me a nareel and a shawl and and okay. immediately told me that you have to come back and play uh, at Sawai Gandhar festival that year only this must have been around february and mm-hmm. that december i came back and performed at Sawai with him in the audience after that i think a memorable uh, concert for me was in 2007 when i performed i got the opportunity of performing with uh, Ustad Zakir Hussain sahab for the first time in in Kala Mandir in Calcutta mm, mm. and I still remember not being able to sleep for like a couple of days before <laughs> that uh, not not out of nervousness but just out of excitement i think more than right. anything else also a little bit of nervousness because uh, and i remember how he kind of uh, just before i was going to go on stage he kind of you know caught me by the arm and pulled me to the side of the wings mm-hmm. and he said hey i, I got to tell you something you know i have slightly better iron kurtas than the rest of the musicians and slightly better quality kurtas but i'm just another classical musician and wow. he's playing with me <laughs> <laughs> i still remember that comment and the way he said slightly is it slightly better wow. better iron and slightly better quality kurtas but that's about it i'm just another tabla player actually fortunately having seen him a little i know exactly how he would have said he it he would have placed beautiful. it to me yeah and wow. and i really uh think he did that to put my mind at ease which it did not by the way it didn't put my mind <laughs> of course uh, not. slightest bit at ease yes yes made me just uh, a little more in awe of him you know yes. as, as here's this person telling me this yeah. so that was a memorable one i think uh, after that my hanging out with pat mathini had to be a uh, although that wasn't a performance performance mm-hmm. but i did hang out with him you know in his house and got you know played with him for a little bit jammed with him for a little wow. bit yeah around some harmonies and we were trying to 
do some stuff i would also put the the raga shayari shows that we did here in bombay with uh, with with shankar ji with zakir bhai mm. and uh, with uh, shabana ji and javed saab uh, where they were reciting kaifi azmi saab's poetry and and the, we were trying to do some music around around it, it yes uh, with dilshad khan on sarangi and somil on the keyboards we were trying to create a musical space mm-hmm. within the poetry and uh, i think those have to be kind of like very memorable i i hope there's a lot more coming <laughs> <laughs> keeping the fingers crossed always uh, we also ask people about their workflow so in your case i'm going to ask you uh, how do you actually get ready for any classical performance the riaz notwithstanding of course that's years of getting ready as they say but if you have a concert tomorrow how do you go about getting ready so there are two ways of looking at this either i am always ready or i'm never ready <laughs> so i prefer ever ready or never ready ever ready or never ready so i prefer to be in the never ready space because then i don't have any expectations on myself okay <laughs> and there were these days in my life i remember earlier earlier years when i used to make sure i sleep enough you know on the day of a show the afternoon you know like 3 hours of sleep mm-hmm. and you're like feeling very fresh and mm-hmm. you know i mean of course all that is preferable but if i'm sleepy i'll sleep if i'm not sleepy I'll, i mean i am not ready i'm never ready so i have no expectations on myself so that is my workflow for a uh, you know in terms of just the mindset and all that if i'm doing um, like especially if it's a collaborative show and if if it's if it's a an ensemble playing mm. then it's a little bit about learning the music and that is a few days and i'm very conscious about these days more than before after having worked with uh, you know especially on this last album and seeing people like bela fleck or antonio sanchez the way the music is written out and it's before them and way they prepare for it i feel that we should we should give our music more time more preparation time more prep time if, especially in, in an ensemble scenario i mean when it comes to a classical recital of course it's a slightly different mindset because you're going there to make music in the moment yes so your preparation is in the years that you have practiced you have learned your repertoire mm. and then you are just interpreting it every time you mm. you so mm. th- that's the improvisational element uh, but having said that you should have i i have a bit of a mental preparation about how i want to plot out a performance because i right. feel it's it's important to be crisp it is important not to just wander around as much as it is important to be in the moment yes. but it's it's good to have a plot and then live in the moment every moment of the plot make it a little up as you go along and that is my workflow when i'm working on uh, a project or an album i follow a similar workflow i mean i'll put down compositions as i said on i think i kind of answered that question well it'll start with my phone mm. at sometimes 3 4 in the morning i mean mm. i worked on this song with uh, with hariharan ji yes where i was uh, i have a sleepy voice note at 4 <laughs> in the morning uh, and it is a little melody that you know sort of that came yeah okay. but i try not to structure or control the narrative too much because if i'm working with somebody which is inevitably always the case you have to let it be a common narrative and there are 
people I respect who have a workflow which is much more structured and they, they like to be in control of every little part of the narrative right. and I'm just not one of those people and mm-hmm. also something that Michael League who's the front man of Snarky Puppy he, he said something which I, I found very interesting he said he used to try and control the narrative at every stage and off late he realized that that doesn't bring out the best in his fellow mm. so I, I kind of uh, instinctively would like to go with somebody else's energy somebody else's workflow and try to you know meld into it seamless, wow. as seamlessly as I can so when we are doing music Purvanji there is a time when you suddenly feel now something has just flipped and changed so has there been any such eureka moments for you and one or many during your lifetime i think a couple of different identifiable specifically identifiable moments are there i think when i made the move to bombay about mm. 10 years ago i started playing the, i mean i started a project with ehsan Hmm. Uh, and then I started, uh, you know, a project with, you know, Louis Bankser and uh, and Taufik Bhai. We did something for SL Vision. Okay. We shot a reality show, you know, which was based on us trying to talent spot a band. Okay. And then we had to do a lot of performances. So I think I crept into this world of harmony and trying to figure my, you know, wrap my head around it, as it were. And slowly that made me realize uh, a strong correlation in phrasing, more of an emphasis on phrasing in our own music which is Indian classical music Mm -hmm. and how harmony could impact it at a much subtler level out there we are not following specific harmonic structures but Mm -hmm. just in terms of arpeggiated phrasing or just in terms of how you could make your phrasing a little more attractive and a little more maybe relevant is the word but do it within the parameters of the raga or the parameters of the spirit of the raga and mm. that that is something that I've been working on and so I think that was a moment I think one earlier moment was when I this emphasis on layer one of the people I, I learned uh, you know a lot of music from was Pandit Ajay Chakravarti in my Calcutta days wow. and there was this one day when he said uh, you know your basic laya is good but try to be aware that that word aware mm. of the laya grid is something which I think that was a you know kind of a, a realization which which dawns on me more and more every single day mm-hmm. and as I got more and more exposed into Carnatic music and started playing with some of the you know very incredible players from down south I think this awareness of each and every akshara is is so important and these days sometimes I listen to recitals of Hindustani classical music and I feel that uh, students of music as students of music all of us really need to focus better on the akshara you know there's a great deal of emphasis on not being besura but one needs to understand that being out of the laya grid is uh, the equivalent of being Being besura besura. so if you're really going to be proficient uh, you know musicians performing at a good level then it is our duty to make ourselves more and more aware of of that of that grid there's one more moment i have to identify and again 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 you know i owe this moment to to zakir bhai and this this one time when he asked me you know why do you think people like alekbar khan sahab or vilayat khan sahab they are who they are is it because of what they play is it because of how they play and of course i was at least you know smart enough not to give the answer just to hear him out <laughs> yes and he said it's because of the conviction that they have in what they want to see we we often talk about finding your own voice mm. finding your own voice is not to find some alien language you know you don't have to play music and cling on you just have to uh, have conviction in what you're trying to say by our very nature we are so uniquely built each of us mm. we'll make a musical statement which is unique 
so that is another realization at wow. the moment i guess beautiful you've collaborated with artists in india across the globe and some very very renowned artists so while these collaborations were happening were there any challenges you faced and how did you overcome them see collaborations are always going to be challenging and that's part of the reason why we take them on being a sitar player one of the greatest challenges is playing from other keys i remember there's a long many many years ago i, I was sitting down with sonu nigam mm-hmm. sonu bhai and, and and you know he said are you one of those sitar players who stuck to you know d or c sharp so that made me think you know about how i could transpose and try to play from c if i had to or or a or or g or you know whatever and mm-hmm. uh, and slowly made me realize you know that that i could do that in my process of of collaboration that's one of the challenges the key in in the in an instrument like the sitar uh harmony is another challenge because it's a parallel universe as it were yes when you are going to work with other genres where harmony is you know plays an important role i think the other challenge the my album was very challenging because it was cross cultural collaboration without being in the same room so trying to True. do things uh from a distance is often you know tough and has its own kind of challenge because you know the energy is different trying right. to do things on zoom or whatever i think the other challenge is a sonic challenge when you are you know on stage with a drummer for instance mm. and you slowly figure out your playing technique changes the way you stroke the instrument so these are the other challenges that that instrument players or even vocalists would yes, face yes, because yes. you'd probably have to throw at us you know in a slight you're reacting kind of to what the other person yeah i mean like. that yes but also the, the the just the the sonic uh mm. range of frequencies that you are you know encountering or or trying to interact interact with is is different like for instance a bass player is hitting frequencies which are a completely different frequency range right and and if you are trying to play your thick strings on the sitar and you are you know sort of clashing with his frequency range hmm. so these are things which you slowly overcome why you're yeah. you're right yes. yes so you spoke about of course collaboration so coming to your albums there have been multiple uh, you know uh, albums to your credit samwad lehar singh struck hmm. and unbounded abad more recently so let's start off with lehar in fact uh, you actually formed an indian classical band called shastriya syndicate so let's begin with the name it was very interesting to me when i heard it so shastriya syndicate yes i mean it's uh, many people have asked me this question as a mm-hmm. matter of fact i think the shastriya syndicate my um, before we talk about the shastriya syndicate in particular i would like to say that my album work has been an outward manifestation of my state of mind throughout the years Shastriya Syndicate in that way was uh, I was a little bit resistive towards other genres which is why I wanted to make a band but I wanted it to be a classical band I was trying is to make okay? uh, and a little foolishly so uh, you know <laughs> I must admit hmm. make the statement that oh you know we can do everything within this genre this and genre. we can make it fun which we can of course, yes, the, of course. which we can but but there's no need to I, I mean in hindsight I realized there's no need to make that statement <laughs> and this i realized later when i came to my next album string struck mm-hmm. the the mores and the 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 values and the the mode of expression is very across the board music is just uh, a manner of expressing yourself through frequencies True. really there's there's no no statement to be made about the name now i'll come to shastri syndicate so i was uh, i used to listen to joe avenol and his weather report so okay. d- despite my resistivity <laughs> i used to listen i okay. mean i used to hear, I, I hear 
ornette coleman mm. uh, you know starting with i mean miles davis uh, so old school jazz oh. coming down to chikori i used to always listen to that and be very fond of it and so shastriya syndicate was named after zavenul syndicate okay jo zavenul and his zavenul syndicate okay and i just call it shastriya because it's classical, classical. I, so I, as i said i wanted to make that statement a right. little little i mean those were my 20s and i was passionate and <laughs> a little foolish I might, if i might admit that and then i went on to do string struck which uh, i owe that name to a cousin of mine and he he came up with the name which i think is a lovely yeah lovely it is, name it and it it's kind of uh, permeated into a lot of uh, a lot of my usernames handles on twitter oh, is it? Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Okay. because mm-hmm. i really like that that uh, you know the wordplay but uh, string struck was when i realized that i needed to diversify in terms of sounds mm. and uh, and I've received a lot of encouragement from Taufik Qureshi in those days exactly. that's how the album started yes. i mean and he's now a great friend and collaborator and we have you know we've done a lot mm. of music together mm. but Taufik bhai liked a piece that i had created incidentally while i was in israel i was traveling in israel okay uh, for the government of india for the iccr and mm. there was we were in the hotel room and there's this piece i created which is called peace of mind visa vi peace of mind or peace yes. of mind it had a very nice b part which which tofik bhai really liked and mm-hmm. i mean i kind of sang it to him over he said aapko album banana chahiye and i'll play on your album awesome. and that's i used to live in calcutta in those days so i uh, got, i was very like lucky to get um, this friend of mine called piyush piyush saraf who stood behind me and said jao ab bombay jab bhi marzi kare jao in logon ke sath baitho and then i reached out to shankar ji to sing one album uh, one song, song in that album, album which is called mm. yun dil se dil mile mm. never expecting to get a reply from him but i did get a reply <laughs> and he said ye bahut khoobsurat composition hai and i'll sing it for you in your wow. album so main aaya bombay mein in logon ka dubbing kiya sab so that's how string struck started so mm. that was when i was slowly beginning to lose the need to make a statement then i did several other albums i did one called trilogue Mm. I mean, uh, which uh, had a lovely song with with Kaushiki. Mm. I worked with a friend of mine called Indradeep Das Gupta, who's a very talented music director, composer from mm. Calcutta. So even your albums with Kalaji, Kalaraji. Yeah, Kala I mean, then of course, if you're talking about the classical albums, they were they're always happening. I mean, I started with uh, Sare Gama mm. first album with uh, where Anindo Chatterjee, very, you know, and he's also one been a very like strong guiding force in my life and uh, helped me a lot in my mm. career also. So he started, uh, you know. the the whole album ball rolling for me yes, sare gama yes. first album i did one with uh, with shubha ji shubha mudgal ji mm. kind of uh, encouraged me to do one with virgin records one with her own company which is uh, underscore records yes. uh, where anish bhai played with me i had the fortune of playing with uh, well it, it's almost weird for him to call him the late Mm. maestro but he is unfortunately shubhankar banerji who is no more with Very us so these were classical albums which always kept happening in the background and i still mm. try to in fact my very dear friend shantanu moitro uh, yes. music composer he mm. he gave me this uh, idea he said that you know you must publish your classical music regularly so as a matter of principle now uh, every year every two years i try to put out a classical album out there Know, I did one with Ojas, the fabulous developer mm. Ojas Adia, mm. called "A Day with Purbayan and Ojas," and that also garnered a lot of good press. And then on to the latest project, which uh, which is called Unbounded. I was going which, to ask uh, you, yes. which I think is your next question. So maybe yes. I should let you ask the question. <laughs> I was just I... going to tell you that you know uh, it's got a horde of Indian and international artists, 
uh, you've also actually conceptualized and curated this album. So let me begin with how did you think of it during the lockdown? Let's start from there. This album has happened now, mm -hmm. but this is something which had been on my wish list for years, and I wanted to you know play with uh, people like uh, Zakir Bhai. I mean, I played with him on stage, but try to you know to have an album. You know, yes. published is, was mm. a big thing for me always. Mm. But also people like Antonio Sanchez and Bella Fleck, who are you know jazz is Grammy award winners. Yeah, Gram artists, Grammy yes. award winners and phenomenal artists. Artists, you know? absolutely. So uh, the way it started, I would say, how the way it germinated is in uh, 2020 November. I had the good fortune of doing this song called Shiva Shankara. Just out of the blue, Shankarji uh, told me, just as you know, in a manner of speaking, he said, "Are kuch karte hai na." You know the way he speaks, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and I think uh, I kind of uh, wanted to hold him to his. In fact, I was going to say that the the beauty of him as a person is he's one of those people who'll stick with it. Also, he yeah. doesn't just say it and leave it. No, you know? he'll he stick with it, and and it is on you if you uh, let it go or if you. I think he, you know, we are on the borderline of where I bug him, and I feel <laughs> that I have the right to bug him and get. You know things yeah, done yeah. by him because he's a very incredibly busy man. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm shameless enough to be persistent yes, enough. Yes. You know to get it to out get of that him. Music to get it out of him. him yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he said that, mm -hmm. and uh, and so we were going to do a song together. And then of course the lockdown happened in 2020, and Zakir Bhai was kind enough to you know give me a video bite for something else, and we were in touch on on the phone a couple mm. of times mm. it's always inspiring to talk so i think just on a whim one day i think i it was i was feeling a little foolish mm -hmm. you know and i just picked up the phone and i said can i call you and he he called me back you know in How some time and well. then uh, i think on a whim i asked him there's a song that i'm doing and and i'd love for you to do something on mm. it so in his characteristic fashion he said yeah but what would you like me to do on it and my <laughs> answer as stupid as it was was play some tabla on it and I think he found that amusing and he said yeah that I can do I know how to play the tabla <laughs> how sweet and, and and that's how we got into that song I think that's where it germinated that I wanted to do more and and I realized that things were possible in the lockdown mm. because people uh, had the bandwidth to kind of yes. and that goes for all all these great masters and I was on a phone call with uh, from this company called Sufisco, yeah, and the, some of the stakeholders, mm. and again whimsically, I said that there's this thing that I have on my mind and I want to do it. So the first question was, how much will it cost? And I didn't have a cost, you know, ballpark Obviously. figure or anything. Yes. But I, so my answer was again a lot. But I think they were also they put their faith in me, and within a half an hour, they got on a conference call, and without knowing what a lot means, they said, okay, we are on board. You can proceed. Wow! Yeah. How amazing. And of course, we figured out the the modalities as we went. There's a backstory to this also. I had reached out to Antonio earlier in the year because to play on one of the compositions, which is Shanmukhapriya, which is now on okay, the album. Okay, which now on the album. Yeah, mm. and and he had agreed very kindly. He had agreed, and uh, I never believe in making musicians whatever their stature. Of course, mm. these people are like right at the right. Anybody work for free, so I always wanted to save some money and somehow figure out a way of paying. So it was taking a little time, mm. and when this happened, of course, it was a natural way of me reaching out to him again. And I wrote a couple of mails. I, I think my managers reached out to a couple of people again, 
not even expecting responses from people like uh, Bela Fleck. Yeah. And I actually didn't hear back from Bela Fleck right away. Mm-hmm. I wrote to him, like my managers wrote to him, and there was no response for a couple of months. And there was this one day when I suddenly got a text from Zakir Bhai saying, uh, "Hello, Bhai. What can I tell Bela Fleck about your album?" Oh you my know, God. That, yeah. And I <laughs> okay. think he's he's a cryptic person that that way. You know, he likes to. <laughs> Hmm. So I was like very intrigued, and then I let the cat out of it because I was always wanting Zakir Bhai to play, but of I didn't course. dare ask him. You know, can you help me get to? I didn't. You know, we really like as, as much as we do have that kind of thanks yes, to him. Yes. That, but you know, I didn't ever ask him that. Mm-hmm. But he he volunteered. He spearheaded the whole thing, the whole conversation Wonderful. with Bella Fleck. Mm. Uh, and so you know we even Anto- antonio's wife thana mm. came mm. into this picture and that's how you know over a period of uh, two three months i was working uh, and gayatri knows this and she was a constant uh, source of support, support. and encouragement Absolutely. not only support encouragement she was like my creative director wow if i had any idea i would run it by her and and if she trashed it right away then we were done with that idea that's it. oh wow and if she said you know mm, go for this go i would just blindly you know even with the draft of every email and everything mm-hmm. so that's how how it it happened and and it was so passionate and so intense that within 2 months we had an album mixed wow. and mastered we started working on it in march and by well july i would say 3 months, months we had the you know including the mixing and the mastering we were done in in about 3 and a half months fabulous yeah. and the result is of course for everyone to see yes i mean it's uh, if i i begin to get a little emotional when i talk about this album because uh, we i did it with a lot of heart and soul and the company stood by me we had good press from around the world mm. we did submit it for the for the grammys unfortunately we didn't get a nomination mm. but i think this is the way these things operate is yes. is you are the awards and all i think i was a little too i think it is a lesson for me because i was a little too emotionally invested mm-hmm. that somewhere you know we'll get a little recognition specifically from the grammys but you know this it's it's a good album it's out there yes it's, absolutely it's for people to listen to you know and the and the beauty of making it and the entire process that's it makes yeah yeah absolutely it's just so worth it yeah yeah, yeah. now coming to something a little out of the music some life principle that you live by i try to totally live in the moment and okay. that's that's something that uh, what i mean gayatri is of course a big devotee of shri shri ravi shankar and in one of his discourses we picked that up like together mm-hmm. you're listening to and that is the one thing i kind of it's you know like there's this moment when the visual representation of it is like you know there might be a thousand people sitting in the auditorium but you see that one face and there's a light so there's this one sentence which stood out to me uh, it's almost a constant process of rebooting your mind as it were letting the entire baggage of whatever has yeah. been even the current baggage it's just not like only one second from, before too yeah, yeah one second yeah you just reboot your mind and yeah. and, the, and you know then all your troubles a lot of your troubles a lot yeah. of your euphoric reactions to things disappear mm. <laughs> so you're just a little bit of an observer Absolutely. that's one of the life principles i live uh, live by uh, the second very strong life principle i live by is i live by is never depriving somebody of their due if you owe money to somebody if you owe credit to somebody yes. you know i mean these are what we call in the recording industry moral rights mm. because that is something which gets handed down yes. passed down absolutely third life principle i live by is if i am in a position where i can help somebody i'll help them mm. i'll never back off from my help or support 
if it is within my means and within my ability because uh, it's just there's so much joy in doing it Absolutely. so i never i try not to lose any opportunity whether it is financially or just giving moral support or whatever the fourth thing which i live by which is not so glorious won't mm-hmm. sound so glorious is mm-hmm. i never get into things which i don't want to get into i never get dragged into i've done that for many years of my oh, life is it? okay it's a life lesson <laughs> i don't want to get dragged into things which i and i'm okay with being a little uh, you upfront know upfront and if required a little unpleasant about it but i'm you make sure that it doesn't I make sure i i don't uh, have a bad taste in my mouth going forward brilliant something that you've discovered about yourself as a person along your musical journey which you didn't know about before I think I realized a few things I'm a quintessential Virgo sometimes mm-hmm. I'm a stickler for uh, you know what I was talking about earlier uh, trying to control the narrative entirely right. is is in my well DNA I would say <laughs> and uh, that's something I've consciously tried to pluck out and uh, get rid of because uh, you know like going with the flow and trying to be not so much in control is often a better way of being in control you really there is no control actually and you know i think as human beings we are ego driven so instinctively we believe that we can control yes and and it's it's that process of letting go i, I mean as i said if you reboot your mind every now and then hmm. then you will get rid of it so that's a life realization i've had over the okay. years okay one of the things that you did say that you know you've you've kind of learned it now hard and you don't really get into things that you don't want to i was going to ask you about lessons that you've learned in life with repeated beatings yeah so related to this only mm-hmm. is trying to control the narrative you plan Mm. and you think that this is going to happen mm. i've learned this lesson even with the grammys when we submitted for the grammys mm. <laughs> you know unconsciously you know that it's not within your control and unconsciously you think of that day and you start planning and emotionally investing yourself right. in something so it's a lesson i've learned one too many times you know virgos are also pretty emotional people yes, huh? yes yes so the passion and the emotion probably helps with the music but it gets your heart broken also you know many multiple times, times multiple yes. times <laughs> so that's one thing i've learned is not to emotionally invest beyond a point it's also bad to be completely emotionally detached yes, because yes. then you might end up with you know lower eq or whatever and there's no heart in what you're doing basically in, indeed yeah, yeah that's that's not how it should be exactly so you know when they talk about the secret hmm. you know talk about putting it out there to the universe uh, they also tell you that you put it out there then hmm. you detach Yes. So when you're putting it out there, doing do it in all earnest. Yes. Then detach in all earnest. Hmm. You know. So. <laughs> I think the detaching comes a little difficult. Yeah. Because when you're kind of investing to put it out there, yeah, the investment's the already done. That's the easy part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the easy part. And yeah. be careful of what you invest in because you're investing hmm. in a lot of things simultaneously without realizing. Realizing. Yeah. Uh, any artists on your wish list? after having worked with all oh, of these people yeah i mean you know i this the, already this album satisfied a crazy wish list and i want to play with them live that's mm. on the wish list and and we are working on it and trying to make that happen but i think there are a few others on my wish, uh, wish list one of them is bobby mcferrin <laughs> and uh, he kind of sums up <laughs> yeah, what, what we're we talking just about, about yeah yes. so so bobby mcferrin is one of the guys i would love to i'm also very extremely sort of in awe of jacob collier what he does wow. you know and and uh, I would Whiskey. love to kind of work on a production with him where you know I would love to get some of his energy into mm. into my system. So true, so true. So these two people for sure um I've had the opportunity of working with her and I wanted to have her on this album but unfortunately just the timing of it was uh, 
singing nun she calls herself is ani ani choing ah. rolma and she's a incredibly beautiful person and we've I've got uh, the opportunity of working with her thanks to Shantanuda. Yes. yes, but I want to do more. Yeah, just the voice itself is yeah. just so stunning. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, usually, classical performers are, you know, in their own cocoon, in their own space. But you've actually bridged that gap. Like even we spoke of Shankar Bhai and we spoke of Zakir Sanji. They've all, you know, done the contemporary music as well. And Shankar Ji, of course, has also done the film music equally uh, proficiently. So. For you, how was it switching and doing movies? You worked with uh, Salim Suleiman on Indian and Indian, which was an in Indian and international project, hmm. and also you worked on a Morgan Freeman film. Yeah, Dark yes, Street. I did. Yeah. So, um, how was it coming into the movie scenario from your classical background and all your years? It was always aspirational for me to make a parallel career. I almost feel it's a parallel career because the classical world, as you correctly said, is little insular and yes. is getting to be a little less insular. But I would say it was a pretty seamless process because mm -hmm. I always imagined a scenario. Although I had to learn a lot on the job, mm -hmm. like for instance, I when I went to work with Salim Bhai on this uh, Indian and Indian, he just gave me a set of harmonies and he he let me free. And okay. as much as I loved that, but uh, at that point in time, mm -hmm. navigating through through those harmonies, so I had to actually sit with him. I think he kind of uh, had to teach me, like you know, give me by way of example that ऐसे आप कर सकते हो. Even Ranjit Barot ji, we were working on something. Mm -hmm. He taught me a lot. I mean, just one or two interactions. I mean, see, I'll tell you, this industry is a very uh, busy industry. True. Nobody is going to give you. Too much time. You exactly. have to be a quick learner if exactly. you want to pick up. So one interaction here and one interaction there. One has to adapt. When I played uh, for Katyar for Shankar ji, that was a much easier process because that was classical. Mm. So he Shankar ji is somebody who just sets you free. You know there was this uh, Aruni Kirani, which mm -hmm. is basically uh, like a Puriya Puriya Marwa kind of zone. Kind of zone. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he said, "Ab bajaye idhar." You know, this is the bandish. Mm. Play some tans. <laughs> he made me play with and Satyajit Talwalkar was on the tabla. So <laughs> he said, "Ap log jaise baja rahe ho, aise bajao." I just play on a click. Right. And so uh, I did And before before I knew it, it was done. He's he's very like. Yes. Ah, kya baat hai? Bas ho gaya. <laughs> and with Morgan, with uh, uh, for the Morgan film, Freeman huh. film, Dark Streets. Mm -hmm. I was in Paris and I was doing a concert at Theatre de la Ville, and there was this gentleman called George Ecogni who met me in the elevator. He saw okay. me with my instrument. Oh, are you? Do you play that? I said, Yeah. Oh, wow. Where's your concert? He came to the concert. I invited him to the concert. Wow. Loved the. He said, Oh, would you be okay? You know, dubbing something for me. When are you coming to the U.S.? And as a matter of fact, I was going to U.S. later that year. Mm -hmm. I came back from Paris, and I think in the fall I went to the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he come asked me to come to Studio City in Los Angeles. Okay. At some two at night or something. Wow. Said, okay. You know that's the time I work. Hmm. And two o'clock at night, I went to this home studio kind of mm -hmm. setup. So he put me in a room, and uh, you know he said, "Make yourself at home. What would you like to drink?" So I think he got me like a beverage of some sort, some coke or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just tuning up, and he put something. Is this is this good for you on the headphones? You know, just giving me the track. Yeah. yeah. And I I would have spent not more than twenty five thirty minutes just tuning up and. 
trying my right. hand at the track and he said uh, after 25 minutes i said can i use the washroom he said yeah we are done Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't know he was recording it. I didn't know he was. He kept it rolling. He used some of my tuning, some of my wow. strums, and just a, a note here and a note there, and so, so that was the experience. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> You're done. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, he said, "Well, you can get up, use the washroom, and <laughs> probably leave, head out and yes. leave." Yeah, and and I took, in fact. to fill out the paperwork mm. to get my money for that project took mm. much more time took like 2 3 hours to fill out the forms <laughs> that was more difficult than yeah. the actual playing yeah, the itself playing was 20 minutes 25 okay. minutes yeah well having been in a musical family from the time you were born i guess this question is a little off but i'm still going to ask anyway if you were not a musician what would you have been oh it's a very uh, potent and relevant <laughs> question i've always thought about doing so many other things mm-hmm. other okay. than music i never you know music was just like as i said somewhere my ancestors chose the sitar mm-hmm. and and that's how it's been handed down but i've always wanted to be a lawyer for instance my dad's side of the family wow. has a lot of lawyers and i okay. i'm i'm very fascinated by the law mm-hmm. i w- watch all these courtroom dramas in fact i've read so much about uh, both the american and british legal systems mm-hmm. that uh, often i surprise my lawyer friends by talking about you know depositions oh. <laughs> and uh, you know uh, you know things like uh, what is that that term uh, uh, culpable deniability and they're Mine. like wow man you know <laughs> so yeah the law are you one of us <laughs> <laughs> uh i you know this uh i'm very fascinated by by technology uh, mm. you know tech geek that way less now than before mm-hmm. now i think uh, i find it difficult to catch up with catch the 20 yes. somethings but but still it fascinates me i remember when i got my first there was this uh, voip service called net to phone mm-hmm. and and nobody in india could use it because our internets were too slow and also there was you know uh, a kind of a sort of a monopoly vsnl mm. was VSNL a, so you yes. were not allowed to so we had to get behind a vpn i figured it out i actually made a 30 second phone call to some toll free number in the us wow. so so th- i love doing these things you mm-hmm. know and, okay. uh, and the technology is very much at the forefront i played a lot of cricket when i was in school and college mm. i used to love it okay. but um, but cricket i mean i i stopped playing with a with a season ball with a yeah with a deuce ball as mm. we call it because right. of you know the fear of injuring my exactly. arms yeah mm. all right Along with music most of us are big time foodies I'm very aware that you are as well so I'm going to ask you about your favorite cuisine So given a choice I will always go for pan asian food mm-hmm. because that's my uh, I'm very intrigued by uh, intrigued is not the right word very fascinated by the far east Mm-hmm. I mean in my several trips to Japan to China to Thailand to Malaysia Indonesia mm-hmm. I spent a couple of years in Indonesia I feel oh, wow. a strong calling from you know that part of the world mm-hmm. and uh, especially Jap- Jap- Japan the culture and the food are so inextricably bound with each other you know the way they they'll worship the fish before putting it in their sushi they right. actually apologize oh, so it's wow. like those things fascinate me so panishin is my go to okay having said that i love every cuisine in the world you discover more and more new things, you know, new things and you find out the like greek food for instance i mean it was kind of new to me i had amazing greek food in australia mm. so okay. i love it all all right yes <laughs> okay so if it were to be a quick fix like you're like super hungry what is it that you you know fix for yourself well a quick fix in in bombay is swiggy <laughs> actually <laughs> just But, call for the food <laughs> yeah yeah and and my culinary abilities are uh, 
you know limited to maybe making an omelet or actually no i can cook a little uh, chicken and i can mm-hmm. cook a dal and i can survive not bad mm. yeah decently if i really off the uh, top of my head if i were hungry and if mm-hmm. i want to get something quick mm-hmm. uh, and yet yet like uh, you know exciting to my taste buds mm-hmm. um, i think uh, i would go maybe go for a Mm, again, panation. I would go for a box of sushi or something. And then wow. these days, there's good sushi out there. Yes. Had, so yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you were to say comfort food, what would that be? Yeah, comfort food uh, is home food. Hmm. Comfort food is the regular dal chawal. I like it more and more. I think I'm okay. growing up and growing old. <laughs> to a point where I, I I miss it. If I'm traveling, I I do miss it. Oh wow. Few okay. Days, yeah. Okay. And if there was something absolutely irresistible, even if you were on a diet, you won't let it go. any food or any dessert what would it be see i am uh, prone towards food foods which have fat in them okay, okay. so if something uh, would have you know something buttery mm-hmm. something uh, like for instance you know they our cook makes delicious upma Mm-hmm. but the reason i love it is because of the fragrance of ghee and you know the amount okay. of ghee that she uses, she uses and okay. i'll always put a dollop of i mean i think it is a doctor friend of mine in the us who encouraged said ghee is good for you <laughs> and i think i've taken that very very seriously, very seriously <laughs> and i i make sure that okay. so so there is so no matter how much somebody tells me that oh you know you got to watch your weight or mm-hmm. watch your triglycerides or whatever mm-hmm. i'll tend towards mm. foods with dollop ghee, of ghee. dollop of ghee or yeah. butter or yeah wow so if i were to say what is your quirky habit which nobody knows about what would it be okay so this is this actually literally nobody knows about so there are these moments when i will discover a new software or a new app just something to do with technology mm-hmm. like when i started trying to go live uh using not a phone or a mobile mm. uh, you know device but using my DSLR camera to get a better frame right so the quirks of it are that i will actually forget everything else in the world and take a deep dive in it more than my music huh i'll okay. f- shut everything off mm-hmm. close my like you know shut myself in a room mm. and get into it till i figure it out till i can get that beautiful frame that somebody's getting you know on a live session so wow. i actually do in the lockdown i had a great time uh, just figuring all of this yes. out and uh, and just beating the system so to speak hmm. in a technological sense you guys were one of the first people to do that live with we did the live yes. in sync and it was it was uh, just the 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 fun of doing it and and being uh able to beat the challenge of being in different places absolutely these are things which where but the part that nobody knows is i actually shut off from everything else i actually so wow. maybe it it is a calling it is an inner calling which mm. i never answered but uh, i love doing it wow uh, amazing <laughs> and before we go i'd like to ask you people who are following your footsteps people who are taking up music what would be your message to them Well I you know this one succinct message which I I try and deliver everywhere is that don't take yourself seriously <laughs> the only reality in all of this is mm. the fun and the joy you can derive out of it out of every step of it right so the self doubt and the you know apprehension of making a career you know there is only one reality in life which is a brutal and uh, you know uh, inescapable reality is bills right those are things you have to pay take care of yes other than that if you can somehow manage to keep your 
needs and demands within reasonable limits where you can afford your bills you can take flights of fancy and enjoy yourself mm. every moment of the way and keep you know enjoying yourself is not possible when you inhibit yourself with a lot of apprehension and right. self doubt yeah so the mm. only thing is people talk about dedication and people talk about you know being passionate and driven it's not important that everybody needs to be passionate exactly. or driven or you know successful none of that is important you just have to be happy and also don't try too hard to be to be happy you don't need to be happy either yeah that is also you don't need to be anything you just need to be who you are and yeah. you will you have, need to be <laughs> have a little little joy and a little sorrow yes, and just yes. take it and go wow <laughs> wonderful message on that note and uh, it's been such a fabulous chat thank, thank you, you so much, so much. Thank, thank you for having me on on your series which is rj lavanya yeah. show and uh, and very delighted to be on it thank and you so much. Uh, and and we'll resume this chat offline yes absolutely <laughs> looking forward to that thank you so much thank you so much On the RJ Lavanya show you've been listening to me Lavanya you can follow me RJ Lavanya on Facebook and Twitter and RJ Lavanya P P for podcast is my Insta handle do follow subscribe rate and review this podcast 11 amazing artists I've spoken to over season 1 it's been a wonderful journey for me I'm all set to embark on my journey for season 2 which will come up very shortly until then I do hope you enjoy the existing episodes I'll see you soon on season 2 of inside out on the RJ Lavanya show kuch baatein karte hain